Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Finishing our sermon series since next Sunday begins Advent, believe it or not. And uh, we've been calling this sermon series Resolute, Tenacious Faith for Tumultuous Times. The Bible teaches us throughout that faith itself is a gift from God. But God does not give us a timid faith. He gives us a tenacious faith. And it's during tumultuous times that the nature of our tenacious faith shows. We have been walking through the Bible, seeing this tenacious faith uh, play out among God's people. Last week, we looked at a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. This week, we move to a letter written by James, the brother of Jesus. James started out suspicious of his brother in the Gospels, but he ended up being one of the early leaders of the church. And he even calls himself a servant of Jesus in verse 1 of James 1. So he changed his mind on Jesus. And he was the pastor of the, of the early church in Jerusalem. And he had a pastor's heart to everyone who walked in those doors. And we see it in this letter. James, James is incredibly practical as a pastor. He's, in, he, he's, a, he's strong with illustrations. And he cuts to the chase. He doesn't mince words. He's down to earth. And this morning we're going to look at what he has to say about faith. It's right at the beginning of this letter. I will read it. You can follow along with me. This is God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, come. We need your empowering presence right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my college years, I was learning what it looked like to follow Jesus in every area of my life. See, I've always had Jesus in my life for as long as I can remember, but on my terms. It always had been on my terms. And now in the college years, he was for the first time at the center of my life. Well, I remember like it was yesterday when I first encountered and had my first experience with the verse 
in the passage that we just heard read. I was having a really hard day and I was sharing my burdens uh, with a fraternity brother who was also a Jesus follower. And I remember as I was done sharing his huge grin, he was just smiling and he looked at me and he said, Joe, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. And I remember not knowing what to do with that statement. He was clearly trying to encourage me, but it honestly just confused me. Is that what we're supposed to do as Jesus followers? Are we supposed, when we're having a hard time, to pretend that everything is awesome? And so to this day, I'm tempted to skip over this passage uh, when people are having a hard time in my life. And for two reasons. I don't want to sound like that guy. I also don't want you uh, and others leaving like I left that conversation 20 years ago. But here's the thing. We are in a sermon series exploring tenacious faith. And this is probably the most clear, explicit teaching on tenacious faith that we have in our Bible. Uh, James doesn't mince words. In fact, frankly, he's a bit on the nose. But that's exactly what we need right now. Uh, We are right now living in what one journalist says is a state of constant agitation. A state of constant agitation. When I read that, I wrote it down because it so described my experience. Have you ever tried to build a sandcastle on the edge of the shore and just small waves would come and then bigger waves would come and it would knock down your work over and over and over again? That's how life feels right now. Wave after wave after wave. Some small, some big, but it's a state of constant agitation. Amen? Well, James' audience was there as well. James says in verse 2, when you meet trials of various kinds, not if you meet trials of various kinds, he says when you meet trials of various kinds. And James is not just talking about earthquake events, but every agitation that we encounter in life. He says of various kinds. In other words, James has a word to say to Christians who feel like life is a state of constant agitation. And so let's not waste this amazing resource just because someone in your life quoted it without compassion and without context. If James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, thought this is what they needed, then it's what we need as well. What does James give them? He gives them a reminder about the nature of tenacious faith. And in this passage, we learn three things. A tenacious faith approaches the world differently. Tenacious faith approaches hardship differently. And tenacious faith approaches impossibilities differently. I want to explain each in turn. So starting with the first, tenacious faith approaches the world differently. Notice what James calls the church that he loves and that he's writing to in the very first verse of his letter. He says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now that is not a throwaway line. Um, It's not. By calling the church 12 tribes, James is saying that there is continuity between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. Uh, Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the Old Testament hopes and promises. 
And so the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God, there is a coherent continuity because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament people of God's deepest hopes. And so that's why he connects them to the 12 tribes. But notice what he says next. He says, in the dispersion. Now, that's what I want to focus on because that word literally there means scattered. It means scattered, exiled, away from home. Uh, James is saying that there are two ways to really approach this world as a settled person and as a scattered people. James describes the settled people or the settled community in verse 4 of chapter 4 as friends with the world. That's in James' mind, there's really two approaches to this world there's friends with this world, and then there's the dispersion or those who are scattered. It's those who look around, assimilate, and then settle in. And then there's those who understand themselves as a scattered exile community. And that's what James says that the church is. It's a scattered community. You are not at home. What does that mean for us? Well, first, think about this. Scattered people hope. Scattered people hope. Think about it. If you're away from home, then you hope for the day when you get home. Maybe some of you have memories of being away from home at a summer camp or a long business trip or perhaps even just college or even just a long day at work or a long day at school. You know how it feels to long for home, a deep ache for home. Well, that's what James is getting at in this passage. He wants us to ache for home. And he's telling us that ache that we feel, that not at homeness that we feel is quite appropriate considering the state of the world and what our deepest hopes are. To live for home is his aim. The day when Jesus returns to make all things new, the totally restored, repristinated, resurrected, renewed cosmos. That day when, in the words of my friend Gavin, when our resurrected eyeballs will will see the resurrected Jesus face to face. Along with the multitude of believers across the globe and across time, we are scattered. But scattered people hope. They look forward. Scattered people hope. They also bless, if you think about it. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says to the scattered people of God in Babylon. In Jeremiah 29, verse 7, Jeremiah says, or the Lord says through Jeremiah, Seek the peace, or shalom, and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Babylon the host city. Why? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now you would think that God would give his scattered people a command to just bunker down and survive. But instead he basically tells them to show up with all of who they are and all of what God has given them to actively bless others in their exile to actively bless others in their scattered status, to actively bless others in their sojourning journey, to bless the host city, wherever that is. And this shouldn't surprise us. 
When God called Abram, he said he would bless him and his offspring in order to bless others. And this doesn't stop with with Abraham. It doesn't even stop with Jesus. Jesus, if anything, ratchets up this calling. Hope, we are a scattered people. Never at home until Jesus returns. But that frees us up. That frees us up like nothing else will to bless others, to give ourselves away in blessing others. We can share the good news of Jesus in both word and deed in our exile. And especially during this pandemic, this pandemic is creating, it's not really creating, it's exposing, I think, our scattered status. How this isn't home. There's something fundamentally broken about the world. It's created good by God. It's broken by sin. It stands to be renewed and restored and repristinated by King Jesus. And until that day, there is a tension in our soul. But here's the thing. In our exile, in our sojourn, we bless. That's our calling card. That's our calling card. And then think about this. Scattered people not only hope well, not only bless well, but they persist. Scattered people persist. People without a home understand that the world is inherently perilous. Uh, We don't ask more of this fallen world than what it can give us. We expect trials of every kind. Hard and easy, large and small. We take Jesus seriously when he says, in this world you will have tribulation. But we also take him seriously when he says in the next breath, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we of all people persist. We keep walking. We keep blessing. We keep hoping. A few years ago, I was away from home in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. My friend, many of you know, and I were on the famous John Muir Trail for a few days. And it took us through a high pass called Glen Pass. Normally you would walk uh, back and forth up this switchback trail, up and over the pass, and then back and forth down uh, this mountain. But this year it was covered in giant snowfield on both sides. So we had to use an ice axe and crampons, like spikes in your shoes, to basically scale the pass in one long straight line. It was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life, (laughs) hands down. uh, The scariest thing I've ever done in my life. But here's the thing. It's what I signed up for. I knew going in that I was away from home on a journey. I was prepared for hardship. My friend uh, who was with me said, each day... You are going to experience something, Joe, that makes you profoundly uncomfortable. Every single day, you will experience at least one thing, probably two to three things, that will make you feel profoundly uncomfortable and really unnerve you. And so on the airplane towards California and towards the mountains, I was preparing myself for trials. And so when I encountered them, I wasn't surprised. And guess what? That helped me persist. So here's the thing about God's sojourners. Here's the thing about God's exiles. Here's the thing about God's strangers in this world and never at homers in this world. They are like backpackers. They approach the world a little bit differently. They never quite settle down. They know that life is a journey uh, going somewhere and they expect difficulties on the way. But they're also 
always looking forward and they're always blessing those they encounter along the way. Tenacious faith approaches this world differently. It also approaches hardship differently. Number two, James wants us to see that because in Jesus and because of the work of Jesus, we have a different take on difficulty. Everybody has a take on something. And Christians, Jesus followers, we have a different take on hardship. That's James' point. We approach hardship in three ways that are different. The first is this. We approach hardship with a gospel realism, what I'm calling a gospel realism. So first of all, James, if you looked at the big picture of this passage, is not an escapist. He's not asking us to ignore or even to downplay hardship. He's realistic, but he's not going to let hardship have the final word. That's the difference. So it's a gospel realism. Realistic about our hardships. He says you're going to face them of various kinds, but adamant that Jesus must change something about how we experience hardship. He's not letting go of that point. And so we approach hardship with a gospel realism. Secondly, we approach hardship with a considered joy. How does he change the way we approach hardship? We approach it with a considered joy. Notice in verse 2 that James says, count it all joy. Or some translations say, consider it all joy. I love how scholar Ben Witherington defines this. He defines count as a mental calculation. And I like these words from David Mathis, who says, We wince, we wail, we hurt, we ask how long, O Lord. God does not expect us to receive our trials as only joy. In fact, Christians of all people should be most ready to receive pain as pain, tragedy as tragedy, trauma as trauma. But we count or reckon or consider our trials as joy Mathis says, why? Because we don't simply feel them naturally to be so. Our joy is a considered joy. Because of the Holy Spirit and because of Jesus, we can calculate hardship as a surprising cause for real joy. That's how one scholar puts it. A surprising, hardship can be in your life a surprising cause for sheer joy. And that's not what, that's exactly what I didn't understand as a college student. I thought my friend was telling me to ignore hardship and to pretend it didn't happen. But James is saying, no, take on a considered joy in light of how Jesus can use this hardship in your life. The struggle itself is not awesome. But it is an opportunity for real joy because it's an opportunity to see more of Jesus. That's James' point. And so we approach hardship with a considered joy. And then we approach hardship with an eternal perspective. James continues in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So we approach hardship with an eternal perspective. Uh, if you trust, if your trust is in Jesus, there is a straight line between who you are now and who you will one day be in eternal glory. And everything that happens in between, the good and the hard, will be used by God to mature you towards your future glory self. To quote a pastor. To strengthen you. To fortify you. And to build up your faith. And to keep you in the race. The kind of test that James is talking about here has been described as a positive test, not a negative test. And let me just explain what that means. A negative test seeks to show where you are wrong and where you are lacking, uh, like, like a school test. You know? uh, but a positive test seeks to strengthen and reveal what you are really made of. It pulls out the potentials. I actually have the ice axe that I used on Glen Pass that I talked about earlier uh, next to my desk because it reminds me that I can do hard things. I need that reminder every once in a while. And it is made so well. It's made by this company called Black Diamond. And it should be made well for what people are using it for. But here's the thing. Its quality was tested on that day when we scaled that mountain. See, God makes our faith, he gives us our faith, and then he strengthens it with a refiner's fire, like a tool in a furnace. It becomes stronger. Remember, some things grow with testing. Some things get stronger with testing. Uh, muscles get stronger with testing. Bones and bone density actually increases under testing. And our immune systems, we're learning, uh, grows uh, with testing. Uh, it's been pointed out that our, like our muscles, our faith will either atrophy or become stronger. And God often uses trials of various kinds, to use James' language, to strengthen our faith. Again, this doesn't mean that pain is no longer painful. It's not an invitation to downplay or to diminish or to ignore or to escape pain. And so a quick word about application of this in the lives of others who are struggling. Apply with care, just like every truth in Scripture. Apply with care and with the balance that Scripture supplies. We lament trials. We lament hardship. We hope in hardship. And we count it joy in hardship. And so that's how we apply it. Tenacious faith approaches hardship differently. And then finally, tenacious faith approaches impossible situations differently. James shows us that we approach the world and, and hardship differently, but then we also approach very impossible scenarios uh, differently. I just take a look real quick again at verses 5 through 8. In these verses, it's assumed that we all need wisdom to make it in this world. But James assumes also that you cannot manufacture this wisdom for yourself. It must be supplied from God. And so tenacious faith approaches impossible situations very differently. We don't draw deep. We cry out. And in two ways. We cry out with humility and with faith. 
So we cry out with humility. We approach impossible situations with humility. James says, uh, ask God who, and look at it, gives generously to all without reproach. The Greek word for generous means simple, open, sincere action. And so in other words, God doesn't have some weird alternative motive here for giving liberally, for giving prodigally, for giving even wastefully. He's like the neighbor who loves passing out full bar candy bars on beggar's night. He just does. He's just generous. That's who he is. And then it, and then it says, ask God, not only because he's generous, but because in a way he's gentle with us. He doesn't want you to turn away. And so what does this boil down to? God knows you are needy and unable. He knows that. And he wants to supply the grace and the wisdom that you need for each day and for each moment. It just requires the humility to ask, which is so hard for us in our sin. But that's what tenacious faith does. It asks, it asks, and it asks again. Tenacious faith, in case you're confused, does not have it all together. Tenacious faith knows its need and asks and asks and asks. It takes hold of Jesus daily, hourly, minute by minute, second by second. Because we don't have it together. Because we lack. Because we don't have the inner resources to pull things off. In this pandemic and all situations that we're in, it's a, it's a vast temptation to draw in our inner strength and our inner resolve and our inner resources to fix, to solve, and to, and to basically rule over our little kingdoms. But in this text, we're getting a little bit of a rebuke here from Pastor James. And he's saying to us, ask, simply cry uncle and ask and God will give generously. He will supply what we need. That's humility. But then it says we ask in faith. Verses 6 through 8. We ask in faith. Take a look. Now, what does he mean when he says with no doubting? Well, verse 8 helps. The doubter that James is talking about is literally, if you're reading the Greek, a person with two souls. James is not talking about the curious. James is not talking about the struggler, someone who has intellectual questions and is wrestling with and, and learning and, and sort of seeking out in earnest what and how uh, to figure these things out. No, no. James is talking about someone who's double-minded. Now, so we have to understand what that means. Double-minded or double-souled is all about loyalty, okay? Loyalty. A double-minded doubter has multiple loyalties. And so when they ask God, it's not really an ask, it's manipulating God to get what you ultimately want. How you want it and when you want it. Double-mindedness is another word, in other words, for idolatry of the heart. When we elevate good things above God and make him ultimate and we give our jobs, we give our ideas of success, our money, whatever it is, our vision of the future, we give these things ultimate status in our heart. We give them our obedience. We give them our loyalty. And it's in that moment that our souls are doubled. We try to have God and our idols. As a kid in church, most of my prayers were double-hearted prayers. They were double-minded prayers. They were double-souled prayers. They were mostly bargains with God. I talked to God like I talked to my friends uh, when trading baseball cards. God, I'll give you this if you give me this. And that's the double-minded doubter. But God says, ask in faith, with wholeheartedness. 
It's a good idea, I think, therefore, to begin all of our prayers with repentance, with a confession of our idols. Get that out of the way. Repent of the things in your life that you've placed uh, instead, that you've placed as utmost above and before God. You've been giving your love, trust, and obedience to different things or different people. And just name that, ask forgiveness for that, and then ask God for wisdom with your empty hands of tenacious faith. And he gives generously. He gives so generously. After all, we have proof in Jesus. <laughs> Though we were enemies of God, God generously gave us his son. He supplied the salvation we need. Why would he withhold the wisdom we need? The faith God gives is a tenacious faith, especially during hard times. As we close this sermon series on tenacious faith in tumultuous times, I just want to say I don't have all of the answers to why the tumult around us is happening. And really, don't trust anybody who pretends they do. But I can say with confidence, with James, the apostle, that God is testing our faith. That he is, in other words, proving it. Sharpening it. Strengthening it. We are drawing on Jesus more than ever these days. And James would say, that is sheer joy. Jesus, we do call on you now in our various trials. God, we ask for wisdom. We need it. We need so much wisdom right now. And God, we turn from all of our double-minded idols of the heart and we simply ask you because only you can provide the wisdom that we need to navigate the trials that, we're in front, that are in front of us. But Lord, you do not leave us alone. By your spirit, we are with you. And would we be surprised to find that our deepest joy is found in you, Jesus, right now. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.